Would you pray for our time together in the Word? celebrate your holy name yes, Lord. we are here to worship you the mm. God of, of Israel the God of heaven the God that know all things yes Lord thank God you Father that can make all things new the God that can change people's lives and people's lives yes Lord we are thankful for who you are you are the King of kings and Lord of Lords Yes. You are in control of everything from the beginning to the end. And you know everything, Father. So we ask you this morning, Father God, that we will keep our eyes on Jesus. Mm. God, that we will keep our eyes fixed upon you, Father God. That you are faithful, Lord Jesus. We are thankful, Father God, because you are faithful to us, Father yes. God. And, and we will give you glory and honor this morning, Father God. So we are here to hear from you, Father God. Pray yes. that you, please, Holy Spirit, help us not just to be here of the word of God, but just to be doers, Father God. Yes, Lord. We will apply every single truth that, that you have already prepared for us, Father God. That we will be able to apply it and to live it and, and to share with others father god so we thank, thank you, you holy spirit for who you are and how you guide us and how you protect us lord jesus so i pray lord jesus that you give the strength to your servant father god to accomplish what you already put in his heart to share with us father god so we thank you we are here to worship you in spirit and truth in jesus name we pray amen amen
Father, we thank you, God, that you are faithful. God, that you're not man that you should lie. That, Father, you do keep your promises, Father. We thank you, Father, that your loving kindness endures forever, throughout all generations, and all for eternity. Father, we thank you, God, that our hope is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Thank you, Father, that yet though the enemy is waging war against the church, Father, your promise in your word is that the gates of hell shall not prevail. And yet though the weapon is forged against us, it shall not prosper. We thank you, Father, that the victory is in Christ, the resurrected Christ. And so, Father, we thank you that those who are in Christ have the assurance, Father, of the victory of Jesus. And that, Jesus, you overcame sin and death. And it's only through Christ that we are reconciled back to the Father. And it's only through Christ and his resurrection. The Holy Spirit has been sent to equip the church to be about the Father's business. And so we thank you for the Holy Spirit. You've given us God in us, God with us, to be our comforter, to be our teacher. And so, Father, I thank you that your word says to abide in Christ, to walk habitually in the Spirit, so that we will not gratify the desires of our flesh, that apart from you we can do nothing. Oh, so Father, may we keep our eyes focused and fixed upon Jesus. And may we continue, Father, to seek God, the wisdom and the counsel of the Holy Spirit, as we go about our day today. So that ultimately our lives would bring glory and honor to you, Father. And we thank you again for the opportunity to open up your word and this setting, Father, and this community, Lord. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't take it for granted, but that we would even have a greater level of hunger and thirst for righteousness for your name's sake, Lord. So... Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are among us. We pray, God, that you would um, open our eyes and our ears to hear and to see, and that our hearts will be cultivated to be good soil, to receive your word, that what we hear today and what we receive today will not be choked or snatched out from us, Lord, but it would take root in us to produce lasting fruit in our lives. So have your way, Father, among us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first R for the three R's of this year, 2021. We're coming to a close of 2021 quickly. It seems like this year has flown by. We've had three R's that I've encouraged us with. Repentance, resolve, and to release. It's like a broken record. Over and over and over each Sunday throughout this year, 
reminding us about these three R's and hopes that we're not just hearing, but that we are applying the truths behind them as we find scriptures and, and the Word of God to encourage us in each of these. And so repentance is the foundation. Repentance is needed. The Bible is very clear. Jesus has come to call the created to repentance. To turn from our rebellious ways, to turn to Christ, to be reconciled back to the Father. Even before Jesus began his public ministry, John the Baptist was sent forth to call the created to repentance. To call mankind to repentance. To prepare the way for the Lord. And Jesus' message was the same. Repent. 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 The message hasn't changed. The nature of man, the nature of the created is in rebellion towards the Creator. And we need a way to be reconnected to the One who created us, the One who knows us, the One who has formed us, the One who has numbered the hairs on our head, the One who has prepared good works for us to do. And the only way to be connected or reconciled back to Him is through Jesus. And so repentance is vital that we have a good understanding of repentance. And so I've been encouraging us the definition of repentance, the action of repenting, a sincere regret or remorse. It's just not, I am sorry. It's just not like, oops, I'm sorry, and there's no depth to that sorry, but it really should be a sincere regret or remorse. You, you understand the, the fullness, the weight of it. You, you see him as a holy God, and you see yourself as one in rebellion to him due to your desires that are from within you. Because when you were born, you were born in this nature, again, that is incomplete rebellion towards him. All of us are sinners. This nature that we have grown in before Christ is in rebellion. That's why Jesus says, you must be born again and born again of the Spirit. And the importance and the, and the understanding of what it means to be born again of the Spirit that you're no longer walking in the ways of the flesh, but you are a new creation. All things have been made new. And yet, though, we understand that in Galatians, that the flesh and the Spirit, they war against each other, but we must understand that does not give us the license to continue to sin. Because we understand that greater is He that is in us than he that is in this world. And again, the same scripture we've heard over and over and over and over again from Genesis, where it says, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you, but you must master it. And the only way to master sin is to die to it. Romans 6 is very clear. What then shall you say? Shall you continue to sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. Don't you know that if you have died with Christ, you've been raised up with Him to a new life? 
that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of Christ is eternal life. And yet, though, again, we are still in the flesh, but the nature, the very depths of who we are, has been born again. We're not to be driven by the flesh any longer. The flesh may continue to try to provoke or to entice, but we recognize that we've nailed ourselves to his cross and we have crucified ourselves there. We are a new creation. How now then shall we live? The importance of repentance the, the, the understanding that sin only brings death. And I've encouraged us, as the Bible encourages, temptation in and of itself isn't sin. But if you give in to it, you've opened the door. But don't stay enslaved to it when you feel the conviction. Don't pull away from God. Run to God. He's made a way. And again, we don't run flippantly, like not just, not you know, whatever. It's not a big deal. God will forgive me. No, no, no. It is a big deal. That's why there must be a sincere regret or remorse. And there's scripture that I've encouraged us throughout this year on repentance. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I pray that, I hope, that you're meditating upon these scriptures, that you're not just hearing them, but you're a doer of the word. And and so really what does that mean as you're going about your day to day, as you've gone about your days within this past year? What does it mean? How are you to respond? What understanding or wisdom have you gained? That if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. What He has begun in you, He is faithful to complete. It is only through Christ. And what does it mean to be pure? To be whole to not just live off the cravings of the dead man or the dead woman but to truly live you all to truly freely embrace all that Christ has for you and who you are in Christ because of Christ Acts 3.19 repent then and turn to God again don't run from God Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Not continually held before you. Not continually to be that which constantly condemns you. But to be wiped out. No more. As far as the east is to the west, he doesn't remember. To finally get to a place where you're not shackled and remain shackled and defeat, or shame, or condemnation. You can choose to be there, but you're not glorifying God. You're making it about you. Your own torment you've created. But the freedom that Christ offers, 
Oh, we ought not to slap it, his hand away. No, we should freely receive from him. And then I love how that scripture, Acts 3.19, ends. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, or his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Joel 2.13, rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Ezekiel 18.32, for I take no pleasures in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. We see all the way back in the Old Testament. The same understanding. Repent, repent, repent. Turn to God. Don't run from God, but turn to Him with a sincere heart, this understanding of, of, of this sincere regret and remorse. Do you see yourself in error? You see yourself in rebellion. You see the wickedness of the old nature. And you ask for his mercy. You go to him. You don't turn from him. You don't excuse it. You don't begin to to create him to be a God that just identifies with your sin. and, and, And almost like if he condones it. But no, you truly see him for who he is. He's holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Set apart. And yet the word of God declares for us to be holy. For he is holy. In and of ourselves, we can't, but he can. Are you pursuing him daily? Moment by moment. Because that's how it should be. Because if you're not pursuing Him, you're pursuing everything else. That will corrupt you and pull you from Him. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 through 11. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. So this sincere regret, this remorse that we've heard about all year. 2 Corinthians 7. Verse 10 through 11 gives us a good understanding, a good visual for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. True repentance is a turning away from. It's not like, oops, I'm sorry, oops, I'm sorry, and you're continually going back. No, it's a turning away from. It's an understanding that he wants that repentance to be genuine. A genuine sorrow. See it for what it is. It turns you away from sin. doesn't, again, excuse it. It doesn't keep you enslaved to shame and guilt and torment. No, it leads you away from it. 
and into salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance and it results in spiritual death. So how are we doing with this understanding that repentance is a lifestyle? It's just not a one-time prayer. It's a lifestyle. It's recognizing in and of yourself, I am a sinner. In and of myself, I will live in complete rebellion to God. In and of myself, when I fail this day or the days to come, I don't need to stay down. I just need to recognize that's an area that I need to repent, that I need to have a true, sincere regret or remorse. But in and of myself, I can't conjure that up. So I need to go to God. Remember, it is His loving kindness that brings us, that leads us to repentance. He's begun this in us. You're not beginning it in you. When you feel the conviction, when you feel the weight of it, it is Him drawing you to Himself. So stop running from Him. Stop making excuses why you can't go to church or you, can't, you don't want to understand the things of God. You pull away from God. This Christian life is too hard. Whatever the excuses that we give ourselves to run from God. Stop running from God. Turn to God and repent and live and live. Why again would we trade freedom for slavery? That old nature knows nothing else but death and bondage and decay and torment to be enslaved to sin. The Bible says we're to be slaves to righteousness. Are you abiding in Christ? I've encouraged us over the past year, even before, and we can't learn our theology from the Satan. We can't learn our theology from the world, and we surely can't learn of God theology from ourselves. <laughs> Truth comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. And we have the Word of God. And what a treasure it should be to us, to hide His Word in our heart, to meditate upon His Word day and night. There is a way in which we are called to live. And again, how gracious and loving and kind is the Father. Think of this. Think of, 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 of truth. All through Scripture you see He is revealing Himself. He reminds us that his love endures forever. And he, from the beginning all the way to the end, he deals with that which is in rebellion towards him. And he's just for doing so. But for so long in the rebellious mind, being blinded by the enemy, we have a misconception of who God is because we've learned of God from demons who distort the character of God to keep us enslaved and in bondage. But if we knew God, if we allowed God to have full access to our lives, if we submit ourselves to God, and the only way of doing that is through Christ, through 
Jesus, seeing ourselves as sinners, seeing Him as the Son of God, the Savior, the one who laid His life down for us and on the third day was resurrected, defeated sin and death, is now ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Holy Spirit has been poured out (laughs) to all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, empowered by God, and we're called to not live a life that grieves Him, but that honors Him. and truly trusting in Him day in and day out. Like when we truly know Him, when we know His character, like you've loved me, even though I was in complete rebellion towards you, and I rightly deserved your wrath. Have you come to that place? Do you understand that apart from Christ, you accepting Christ, if you're not in Christ, you are going to be swallowed up in the wrath of God. And if God help you, if you die apart from Christ, you're not only swallowed up into his wrath, but for eternity, for eternity, you're going to spend in hell. A place of torment. And for what, re- for what reason? Not because he's a bad God or a horrible God or how can a loving God do that? <laughs> no, it's because you chose his wrath over his love. That's the reality. He is a God of wrath. But he's also a God of love. He's a God of love, but He's also a God of wrath. And He's a just God. And those who do not receive freely His love, He he doesn't force you to abide by a list of rules and laws. No. He came as Christ The Son of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Fully God, fully man. Jesus came not to judge the world but to save the world because the world already stands judged. The world is judged. All who are apart from Christ will endure the wrath of God. But there's no need to endure the wrath of God because God himself came. He dwelt among us. He's within us if we've accepted his truth. And so the love of God should now define the Christian. We're spared his wrath because Christ took the wrath for us. That's good news. <laughs> and oh, how we, be, we should be sharing it. And how do we receive the love of God? Repent. Recognize your need for Him. 
Not begin because of anything that you've conjured up, but because He's begun it in you. So when you feel the weight of sin, when you feel the recognition and you're recognizing your rebellion, when you see Him for who He is, don't run from Him. Turn to Him. He's drawing you to Himself to save you from Himself. His wrath is coming. It's been stored up. And the day and the hour is fast approaching. And oh, how we need to wake up. Wake up. Wake up, oh sleeper. There's such a level of deception and darkness rising on this earth. I keep encouraging us in that. You say, how is that encouraging? Because it only reveals to you He's coming. (laughs) Everything that has been written in His Holy Word is coming to pass. And how on earth the church can continue just to sit back and remain religious and let the religious institution call itself the church. No, we have to wake up. Jesus Himself in the book of Revelation, John received these revelations. These were letters given to these churches. And what was, the, what, were, what was he calling them to? Repentance. You've grown cold. We've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. The hour's approaching. Don't know the day. Don't know the hour. But it's approaching. Look at the signs around us. Around us. It's, it's, we've got to get up from, from our... From our complacency. We got to put aside all that is driving and commanding our attention. That's why you first must have the truth and the understanding of what a repentant lifestyle, repentant lifestyle is. So that you can start resolving, making up your mind. Decide on a firm course of action to follow Christ. All, you're all in, you're all in, you're all in. You're not one foot in and one foot out, or one toe in and everything else out. No, you're all in, because that's the Christian life. It's just not coming to church when it's convenient to you. It's just not deciding when I'll just, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that. No, no, a hunger and a desire. You resolve. And then the third are to release. You've got to let things go. You gotta let that which and those which have been keeping you from pressing in and getting your roots down deep go. It's not cute any longer. It's not benefiting your life any longer. Nothing good is coming from it. It's just holding you back. I keep encouraging you. I don't know if anyone's doing it, but you should track what you're doing throughout a day. If you really want to be bold, do it a week. See how much time you're spending with the world and with yourself compared to the amount of time that you're spending in Christ. And it's not about being legalistic. But the reality is, is where's your heart? What are you treasuring? Your times on social media, your times with this one, with that one, with doing this, with doing that. 
What are you treasuring? What are you identifying with? What is your life marked by? If it's not Christ, then it's everything else that leads to destruction. Oh, how we must wake up. We must wake up. We must be encouraged day in and day out. You have to go deep. This isn't just a surface wall. This is a deep wall. Deep calling to deep. Growing spiritually. You've been awakened. What are you doing with this truth? When Scripture says it's best that you've never known than to know. What do you do with that? How do you sleep with that truth? That you hear truth, you know truth, but yet you keep rejecting truth. You claim his name, but you deny his fame by the way you live. We're to be image bearers of God. And how are people seeing us? Not that you're to be perfect. Not that you're to, you know, carry on something that's not genuine or real. But the reality is living out your life in Christ. Even in your times of failures. Even in your times of deep, deep circumstances and valleys. Because that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time. Is going through. But oh, how I pray that this year you've grown. This year you've matured. And if you haven't, if your faith is still at the level it was at the beginning, or maybe even further back, wake up. Don't beat yourself up. Wake up. His mercies are new every morning. I challenged you all last week with a difference of thankfulness and gratefulness. And oh, how I pray that you were challenged by it, you thought upon it, you prayed through it, you've allowed the Holy Spirit to to, to kind of just work within you to understand that there is a difference. And if gratefulness is not being produced from your thankfulness, something is wrong. And again, it's not that you, again, you beat yourself up, but the reality is we've got to get real. We've got to have conversations We've got to allow Him to to equip us. And so again, it's not pulling away. It's not doing this weird thing that people do. But the reality is, God, Jesus, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. You're revealing these areas of my life that I need to grow and I need to mature in. Help me, Lord. You seek Him and you will find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart, not your weird games, not these weird things that we do and these weird relationships that we have with the created. No, He's the Creator. And He is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. And so that's why we're not perfected until we're with Him. So again, I keep telling you, it's not about Christian perfectionism. It's not about at some point you have to be perfect here. No. But it is about maturing. You ought to be maturing daily, moment by moment. Taking every thought captive. Applying truth to your life. 
so that you're growing and you're growing and you're maturing and you're maturing. And in maturing, again, there's things you have to let go. Relationships, you have to let go. Things that you can't just cling tightly to. Habits that you that you have formed in your rebellion that you think that you can carry over into the newness. And you say, well, then what would I do? Not that. Something new will come forth. Oh, but that's boring. Oh, the Christian life is boring. Well, then you don't know Christ. Christian life is not boring. There's so much that we are to be actively engaged in doing. Again, not for salvation, because salvation is all encompassed in Christ and in Christ alone. But the fruit of salvation should be coming forth from our life as we're growing and as we are maturing. That's the importance. And so no. If you're finding yourself, if you're journaling and you're tracking kind of how you're spending your time, then ask the Lord when those areas are revealed to you to give you insight and understanding on how now practically you can apply truth to your life so that you will grow spiritually. Because it's not that you can't enjoy those things, but they shouldn't be the majority of your time spent daily with it. So you have to get to a place where you have self-discipline to sit down and to meditate upon the Word of God, to grow in prayer, in your prayer life, and, and grow in your fellowship with God, with others, in worshiping, in giving, in serving. This is all out war. I keep telling you, we are behind enemy lines. And we can't be an effective soldier if we are entangled with the temporalness of this life. And I love it when the Bible says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. How can we do that? Because we already have the victory in Christ. Too many of us are living as if he didn't accomplish what he says he's accomplished. Too many things we are asking for and Christ is saying it's already done. Too many times we're pleading in prayer for and God says you already have. Stop praying for the for and start praying for the do. You said it, I believe it. So Holy Spirit help me to function in it. To walk by faith and not by sight. To get up from my complacency and to truly embrace the fullness of life. This is the reality of the Christian life. And remember, you are rejected by the world and its systems. So stop trying to strip Christianity down to fit in. No, no. <laughs> you live. And you experience the abundant life in Christ. And keep everything intact that is of Christ and of truth. And if they reject it, so be it. If they embrace it, celebrate it. 
Because it has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with Him. We're called to go forward, bear His image, preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of His commandments. I keep encouraging us, the church cannot continue to do what the church has done. Oh, it's a new day. The church must arise and take her place and the identity as the bride of Christ and to begin to prepare for His return. Our lamps must be filled because He's coming. I have some scriptures that I want to encourage us in. To encourage us to persevere. Scriptures that we've heard before. But listen, you all. This is really all the preacher has to preach. <laughs> Scripture. We must ask the Lord to open our eyes, to open our ears, to prepare our hearts to receive. You understand the importance of His Word, of truth, of the realities of heaven. And the realities of hell. This is our identity. Because it's Christ. From the beginning to the end. We are told that we are to look intently into this. And not forget who we are. When we close it up. <laughs> but to be doers of it. Not just hearers. This is, this is a treasure. You should be devouring it. You should be feasting off this. This should have your attention. Because Christ, because of Jesus, because of the love that you have for Him, and the leading of the Holy Spirit to teach you all truths, to reveal to you God's mysterious plan, Though we would never get to the fullness of understanding while we are here. <clears throat> but our desires should be cultivated as we humble ourselves and ask Him to lead us as we open His Word. God, please just don't open up the Word and then just read and not first acknowledge your need of the Holy Spirit to teach you. Don't treat this like any other book or self-help book. But treasure it. Honor it. Understand the importance of it. Like God himself chose men to pen his word. And it has been Put together, held together, has persevered throughout all generations, and it will continue to be so that it can be placed in the common man's and woman's hands for them to read and understand. Don't take for granted. There are people over the, around the earth 
that can't even get a copy of it. But they can get little scraps of it and they treasure it. Governments have tried to ban it. Philosophers have tried to destroy it. But yet it is still the word of God. And it's still awakening the created in all generations to the truth of God. Drawing people to repentance to live for God. So this should be a source of encouragement for us as believers. Individually and then corporately as we gather together to feast off the word. To hunger for the word. Listen, if you don't have a hunger for it, ask for it. You just recognizing that you don't have a hunger for it is the Holy Spirit prompting you, letting you know this is what you need. So again, you have to ask. The Bible is very clear. You have not because you've asked not. We need to start being more in agreement with the Holy Spirit and the conviction that we're feeling instead of more in agreement with our flesh and the world telling us how bad we are and how God doesn't want us. And we have to clean ourselves up to come to God. And that's not truth. Truth is you can never clean yourself up enough to be accepted. Truth is you're a sinner in need of Jesus. And because of God's love, because of God's love, He sent Christ. He sent the Savior. So you can get up, not weighed down, trying to be a good Christian. No, you can get up each and every single day, asking, asking for truth, that His word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That, Lord, help me to treasure your word, to hide it in my heart. Help me to feast off of it. Help me to understand. Give me wisdom and understanding. Surround me with other believers and teachers of the word. That teach the word. That uphold the word. That that treasure the word. What you surround yourself with. Who you surround yourself with. Really shows you the depths of your love for Christ and His Word. And so it's vital that, again, the Word of God says that we are to abide in Christ, that we are to treasure Christ above all, that we are to know Christ and to be known. Like, again, you all, God, God, the Creator of the universe, of earth, of all things, desires a relationship with us. He desires a relationship with us. And again, I keep encouraging us. It is not God who is stiff-arming us. Though that's how He's been made out to be. But the reality is, it's us who is stiff-arming God. And that's why I want to spend time, and each Sunday I try to spend time with you all in His Word to encourage you. Don't believe it just because I'm saying it or anyone else is saying it. You go, you take His Word, you sit, you ask. You seek, you knock. 
And watch what God will do. When you grasp the reality that God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus, when you grasp the reality of his love, and you understand that his love drove him to send forth his son to take the wrath for you, and the freedom that comes from Christ, when your eyes are open and you see the reality of the nature in which you are living and the lies and the deception that you have believed, believe the majority of your life, when you've been conditioned by the enemy, by the systems of the world, by the nature that you were born into to reject God, it doesn't really make sense when, when your eyes have been opened. Like when I think about the number of years that I spent living against him, throwing my fist up, running amok, believing the lies that I was instructed by the enemy, the religious church, the world systems, and even my own desires. When my eyes were finally open, I go, oh, dear God. It's a humbling experience. Because again, all along, all I heard was about his wrath. All about his wrath. How much he hated me. And yet, though I needed to hear that, what I was missing was the truth of it. That yet, though his wrath is stored up for those who are in rebellion towards him. I wasn't told I was in rebellion towards him. I was just told how much he hated me. And even at a a young age, I was confused. of. and, And I told you what kept me away a lot from God was I was like, well, you're the one who created me. You're the one who put me here. So now I'm expected to do this, 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 and that, and then somehow you you will accept me? I remember at a young age sitting in my bed, talking to God, and demanding of Him. Like, what kind of schizophrenic, cosmic God are you? That you've placed me in the midst of this battle, and somehow I'm to be awakened to it and, and receive it. Well, this is odd. This is weird. It's your screw up, not mine. So I don't want anything to do with you at a young age. So confused, listening to the lies of the enemy, of the religious institution. Of the world systems and the lies of my own nature I was born into from a young age. All of us, as infants, we come out in this rebellious nature. Oh, we all look cute, but with inside, there's a nature that is in complete rebellion to God. I mean, think about some of the horrific events that take place on this earth. And they're done by humans. They're done by humans who were once cute little babies. When babies cry, they're demanding, give me, do for me. Do for me. 
feed me, love me, bathe me, clean me, give to me, give to me. It's just this nature. And isn't it interesting, when, when these horrific events take place, the majority of time, the first people that they talk to are close friends or relatives. And a lot of times, you know what they say? Well, they weren't bad. I mean, all of a sudden, it's this picture being painted like, well, no, I don't know how that could have happened. But the reality is, is everyone is in rebellion to God. And yet again, he's the one that's being blamed for everything that's going on upon this earth. The reality is, is when our eyes are open, when my eyes were open, I realized, wait a minute. Oh, God, it's a very humbling experience. I've I've told you before, when he spoke... I was in a place that I hated him. I hated Christians. But when he spoke, the first thing that happened was, Oh God, you're real, Jesus. It was his name, I said. And I knew right then and there, Oh Jesus. No one had to tell me anything. I knew right then and there, my position was to humble myself before him. And the love and the presence that filled that room. I can't conjure that up. I can't make that up. Here I was a man channeling everything and anything, talking to all these things that I couldn't even see. Such utter darkness. Thinking it was bringing me life. And yet life himself was now in a room when I was ending my life. And I needed to know him. You need to know him. That's why I challenge you all. Go sit with him. It's nothing you can conjure up in yourself. You just being here. You just hearing this. Maybe later on a podcast. You listening. It's because he's begun something in you. It's not him rejecting you. You're rejecting him. He is pleased to reveal himself to you. So when you can take his word and be humbly honor I and mean, humbly know and state and declare as many times that I do when I sit down like God in and of myself, I have no understanding of this. So teach me. Show me. And I'm telling you, when your eyes are opened up, like when I think of the reality that God, you were pleased to reveal to me who you are. That you didn't create me for your wrath. You didn't create me for destruction. You created me for good. And the only way that I can be restored to that good is through Christ. Through repentance, through recognizing daily, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you. To know that as I called upon you and as I firmly believe that you are the Son of God and that you've risen from the dead, that I am now born again of a new nature. And this new nature is a nature that is in complete step with God. That's where this hunger comes from, that's where this desire comes from. Again, it's nothing that you've done, but the reality is that God 
you love me. Even at my worst, you love me. Even at my worst, you, you call me your own. You, you draw me to yourself. I don't have to run. I don't have to clean myself up. I don't have to do all this junk that I've heard. All I have to do is to believe. I have a, a bold confession and a belief that you are the Son of God. That you've rose from the dead. That I'm born again of a new nature that is now led by your Holy Spirit. And so I don't need man to tell me, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. No, I just feel the weight of the conviction of why am I going towards this? Why, why is my feet leading me here? Why are my hands going here? Why are my eyes gazing upon that? Why, is, why am I allowing my mind to run this way when I know it's a complete opposite of who you are? I don't need man to tell me not to do it. Father, I just need you to show me. <clears throat> The way of life. Because if all of that is based on temporalness, well, I don't want to live off the temporal because I recognize through truth that all that is temporal is leading to death. But all that is eternal is leading to life. And so no one had to tell me to lay my life down. No one had to tell me to stop this or stop that. It was a stay by day, and it's a continual day by day process that I willingly, just like, okay, God. In the beginning, oh yeah, there's this, ah. that's why I love this picture here. It's the new man coming out of the old. It's the reality of what the butterfly has to endure as it wraps itself up in a cocoon <laughs> and the struggle that's going on inside it. And if, if you haven't heard the understanding, if you go and you try to open that up, you're going to kill it. Yeah. It has to go through the change, the transformation to really come forth to be what it was created to be all along. It's a butterfly. And so it is with us. Oh, it's a, it's, I'm not telling you the Christian life is easy. I'm not telling you that one day, poof, you know. Some people, maybe it's happened that way. But the reality is, is that there's so much here. There's so much here that we have allowed to define us over the years of our life. And all of that has kept you from God. The reality is that you are made new. So if I'm not to think this way, if I'm not to feel this way, if I'm not to live this way, if I'm not to allow my past to continue to define me, then how now shall I live? God, I just want to live to honor you. I'm not going to be perfect at it. And you know that. But I'm the work of your hands. And your word says in Psalms that you will not neglect the work of your hands. So I don't have to be stressed trying, trying to be a good Christian, trying to be a good pastor, trying to fit the mold that everybody would love to have. No, God, I just need to honor you. So when I share these scriptures with you and the amount of time that we spend together on a Sunday, it's surely not for me. It's for all of us. And I do pray that you go back, no matter where you are in your walk with God, that you go back during the week and you're meditating upon these truths. Again, not because Rob said, but God, what do you say? 
How is this speaking to me? What's the reality of truth? How am I to live now? And if you're not a Christian, again, it's not by coincidence that you're here or a future date you're listening. No, but God is drawing you to himself that you will live and not die. Go to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. So again, I'm sharing these scriptures with you in hopes to encourage us to continue to persevere. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you, He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Oh, can you see Him for who He is? That's the reality, to truly know the character of God. To know Him as He declares Himself to be. Not as the enemy, the religious system, the world institutions, or even yourself. But the reality of who he is. You have to take him for his fullness and not strip him down to become a God you created. But he needs to be God who he is. And the reality of it. I'm telling you, I keep telling you, I go, goodness, I keep telling you. It's like we're living in a weird Christian end times movie. I can't even make it up anymore. I don't know if you ever watch a weird Christian end time movie. If you haven't, come spend an hour or two with me. We'll watch one together. Because you'll be like, oh, it's it's a weird movie, but good gracious. It's like that's what we're living in. It's like each day there's something weirder happening. It's just odd what's happening. And I keep telling you, the level of darkness, the level of deception, the level of strife, of perversion, of all of it is rising up, ultimately to set the platform for the Antichrist. These are thoughts, these are things that I thought were foolish years ago, before I came to Christ. I thought, those wacky Christians. (laughs) But oh man... There's not another spiritual book written that its truths are actually right before us. You can't even make it up anymore. I mean, you really can't. They're closing things. It is a move on the earth for one world system. And who's told us about it? God. It's fascinating. You just sit back. Well, hopefully we're not called just to sit back and watch. We're actually called you. And I keep telling you all, you are purposed for today. You, As long as you have breath in your body, you are purposed for this craziness. And you say, well, how can I be purposed? Because God has purposed you. The Bible says that he has created you to do good works. And so why on earth do you think the enemy has been charging against you. 
has been trying to destroy your life, keep you down, keep you from God, because you were purposed for this hour. You were purposed to be an to be an image bearer of Christ. You were purposed to go forth and to serve. You were purposed to go forth and to love. When love is growing colder and colder and colder and colder, we were meant to go forth and to be a light, to be a community that when others see, they go something's odd and peculiar about those people. But they will know us. That we belong to him by our love for one another. You see, we have to live opposite of how the world is living. (laughs) Not because you have to. No, it's because it's who you are now if you're in Christ. Listen to how scripture, and as these scriptures give us this understanding and encouragement to remain in Christ, to abide in Christ, to know Christ, to know our God, his character and who he is. Like, do you all, a lot of times we hear things that are going on, or a lot of times we just pull away from it because it's a bit too much. But do not remain isolated and not understand the times that we're in. I mean, when you see a free country like Australia, when you see what's going on in Austria, when you hear the reports of what is happening, it, it, that doesn't matter, political sides, whatever. It's not even about that anymore. I keep telling you, it's what the Bible says. All warfare is not against flesh and blood. It is against principalities and rulers in the air of the darkness. And I keep saying to the church, it's sad that the occult knows more about that realm than the church. And if we as Christians think that we can just get up each day and just humdrum about our life, we're fools. You are to be actively engaging in warfare. But it's not by your might. It is not by your power. But it's by his. And all through scripture, God raises up these people. Common, I mean, he raised up murderers. He raised up prostitutes. He raised up this. He raised up that. People with shattered lives. But once they had a revelation of who God was, whoom, okay, God. He raised up prophets in their days to send them forth to a nation that was just going to kill them. But they did it. It was their purpose. Christ himself came. And when he rose from the dead and he ascended, he looked to the twelve and said, Now go. Go. Spread the good news. Baptize people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey all that I commanded. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for you. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. And so when we see that things are ramping up, oh, don't be lulled asleep. No, be engaged in the newness of life with Christ. Honoring him, seeing him for who he is. Go to Matthew 6, 34. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Matthew 6, 34. So don't worry about tomorrow, 
For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So don't worry. So don't be fixated about tomorrow. Focus on here and now. Plan for tomorrow, but don't be overly anxious for tomorrow. John 14, 27. I am leaving you, this is Jesus' words, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And I told you before about this word peace. The original understanding of this word is nothing missing, nothing broken. I'm leaving you whole. This peace in which I'm giving you, this the world cannot give it to you. You can go search for it all you want. You can look for here, you can look it over here, you can try to find it here. You're not going to get it. It's all going to come from me. Peace, I leave you. You know, it would be great if when we came to Christ, we had that revelation of who he is, we humbly ex- uh, accept him, we recognize that we're sinners, and poof, we're up into heaven. That would be wonderful. But truly, what would that testify to? But the reality is that he keeps us here. Even we read a couple weeks ago, the prayer that he prayed before he was arrested. He tells the father, he asks the father, Father, protect them by my name. I'm not asking you to take them out of this world. But what I am asking is that you would protect them. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't know what that does for you, but for me, I'm just like, oh, God. Wow. And in that, he knows what we're going to endure. He knows that there's going to be trials. Because he tells us there's going to be trials. In this world, you are going to have many trials. But be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. So, Rob, why are you clinging to it so tightly in the midst of adversity? That's not how I've taught you. See, the reality is when you wake up to truth, you go, wait a minute, I see things differently now. (laughs) Are you seeing things differently now? So how you should. That's why I always tell you, you can preach yourself happy. Oh, there were many seasons of my Christian life, I stayed down in gloom and despair and anxiety and panic. (laughs) But it's not because of God because of my choice. I chose not to understand the fullness of his peace. I chose to cling to, to all of the stuff that kept me from his truth. But when I realized it was me doing this to myself because I was believing the lies, All I could do was repent and get up. And getting up from that pit was hard because your mind is already conditioned on how you're thinking. When I had someone look at me and said, the problem is is that you've lost all sense of coping. What do you believe in? Who do you believe in? I go, wow, I don't know how to cope anymore. Well, that's odd. But the reality is I didn't. I lost hope. 
And when you lose hope, you don't cope. <laughs> and it wasn't because God pulled away from me. It was because I chose to stop believing. I chose to stop pursuing. He didn't stop pursuing. He didn't give up on me. So where are you at, you all? Do you, do you understand? And that's how, so when the Bible talks about taking thoughts captive, because remember, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. And when you're in sin, when you're enslaved to it, no matter what the sin is, you got strongholds. That's why the Bible tells us, don't give the enemy a foothold because if you give him a foothold, he's going to develop a stronghold. And what is a stronghold? Y'all should be able to quote this and know it. It is a thought process that you have begun to believe that defines you that is opposite, contrary to the truth of God's word. But praise be to God, the word of God says that he give us, he's given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish them. Are you going about your day demolishing strongholds? One of my favorite things to do is come back to this verse, John 14, 27, and read Jesus' words and be reminded, I'm leaving you with a gift, Rob. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. You understand if that truth defines your life, how you would then live. Psalm 55, verse 22. Psalm 55, verse 22. Give your burdens to the Lord, and He will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Give your burdens to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4. 16 through 18. Second Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Oh my goodness. Listen, don't you don't take it for granted when the Bible describes the armor of God that it the word of God is your sword. And oh how you need to get comfortable using it as all the other pieces you understand how you to be are to be equipped to go about your day to be actively engaged in this new way of living it's not just a form of religion it's not, and that's why I keep telling you statistics these people who go out and they survey you know they say that 90 some odd percent of people sitting in church aren't saved 
They're just superstitious. How crazy is that? Like when you sit down and you start going through and you start hearing people and what they're saying they believe in. And these are regular, these were a few years ago, but these were regular church attendees. Not just people who show up here and there, but regular church attendees. They didn't know their God. They went about a form of religion because they were just superstitious. And yet there is no transformation coming from their life. And yet I can't even imagine what it would be like today. And I can't, under, so I can't, I can't keep encouraging us enough. As the world keeps getting darker, the Bible tells us in the last days, right before his return, there's going to be a great falling away of people falling away from faith. And they're going to start following doctrines of demons. You can't make this stuff up. This is what the Bible tells us is going to happen. And so then when you look at the religious institution, when you look at what we call church and we go, what on earth is happening? These people that have sat there, these people that have ruled the system. We saw them in Jesus' day. We saw them all the way back in the Old Testament. We're told all through the New Testament, this is what's to come. We're told constantly, be aware, be on guard. False teachers are coming in. They're going to come in like wolves. They're going to try to ravage the church. (laughs) But the good news is, is that the gates of hell cannot prevail. True believers will stand. They will resist. (laughs) They will be with their God. And so when we understand the importance of knowing the word of God, of living it out, of it being active in our lives, when we're to look intently into it, not close it, forget it, who we are, but to live it out, that's the Christian life. And it's not a burdensome life. It's not. Are you going to endure it? Oh, yes, you're going to endure. I mean, we read about the churches over in India this morning in our prayer time. And I posted about them. When you understand what people are going through, when you even understand within our own nation how the church looks, if you say you're a follower of Christ and you're not conforming to the religious institution, then you're a threat. Not only to the religious institution, but soon to government officials. Just look at what's happening in Canada. You can't make this stuff up. Just look how Christians are losing their jobs. Look how Christians have built their livelihoods, their businesses for years, how they're being taken down within our own nation. And they're being looked at as the troublemakers. You see, we will never, we will never find our place in this world. And where we once were comfortable in this world generations ago, oh, it's nice, those, those people go to church You know, people gathered, people did. But as the day and age is rising up and it's becoming all that it is said to be, we're pushed out. And you say, well then, what hope do we have? The Holy Spirit. Because as long as the Holy Spirit is filling His people, the church on the earth, there's work to be done. 
And we can live with hope each and every single day. But when the hour, and no one knows the hour, when God says, it's time. The time in which I set is now. And the church is taken. Jesus have mercy. Jesus have mercy. And that's why I don't treat this lightly, you all. That's why I try to encourage you all. I can't force you. I can't live it for you all. I can't do it for you all. I can only open up the word of God with you all. I can pray with you all. I can encourage you all. I can open up the times for us to get together and try to encourage you to be a part of it so that you're growing, that you're asking questions. But the reality is, is that you got it has to be a belief and a confession and it has to come to a place of repentance and, and a way that you start living your life and honoring Christ. And so let's go to Psalms 9, verse 9 through 10. Psalms 9 through 9 through 10. We're all over the word. Oh, how I pray you're treasuring the word. Verse 9 through 10 of Psalm 9. The Lord is a sheltered, I love this, for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon, listen to this, those who search you for you. And again, the understanding of, and it's the song that we listen to during our worship, that his promises, he's, he's faithful to what he's established. So listen to that. Those who know your name, trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Go to Isaiah chapter 26. Terry, what time is it? Thank you. Isaiah chapter 26. Verses 3 through 4. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts, look at this, are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. First Chronicles 16 verse 11. Search for the Lord, and I love this, and for his strength. Continually seek him. That's why I continue to encourage us. That once the work is begun in us, he is faithful to complete it, but we must do our part to continue to seek. You're not perfected. At that moment you come to Christ, the moment you have the revelation. No, the understanding is now it's time to mature. You're not seeking to be perfect while you're on this side of heaven. But what you are seeking is to mature. You must understand truly what his mercy means, what grace means. You must understand the concept that in Christ, we have all that we need. We're not lacking. But so many times we live lives in lack 
because we're not drawing close to him. We're not seeking him. We're not remaining in him. We, we take it back and we say, okay, we'll figure this out. But the reality is, is that we can't figure it out, that which is right, that which is good. Only he can do it through us. It's just, there's this horrible little reel or TikTok or meme going around. I say it's horrible. It's funny when you watch it. Um, it's, it happened on Family Feud. Steve Harvey is with this singer um, from um, Wilson Phillips. And so he, he, she comes out and he goes, okay, you know, she's, she's the second one to give the, the, the answers to win the money. And she goes, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Holy Spirit, activate, activate. And she begins to sing and everyone's like, oh my. And Steve's like, what? You know, and so, you know, Steve, you know, it is what it is, you know. And so part of me is like, oh, that's so, like, flippant. But sometimes when I think about it, I'm like, well, we don't need to be flippant, but that actually is the reality. And all that we do and all that we say, like, Holy Spirit, have your way. (laughs) Have your way in all things of my life. And all things in my life. So, I mean, people are taking it, they're running with it, they're being whatever on social media. But when I really think of the depth of it as a believer's life, when I, when I read scripture or I look at scriptures and, I, and I'm like, wow, no, like, no, Holy Spirit, I need you. And for so long, people have looked at the Holy Spirit and they see the weirdness that comes around when you talk about the Holy Spirit. So what does the people, what do church folks do? They pull away from it or they go to the complete opposite side and run with it and they make it a, a, a shenanigans. They create something that's just totally out of control. And Paul even addresses it like, wait, your services should not be out of control because one of there's unbelievers around. And so I don't want y'all to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at, you know, the first church as, as, a, as a believer that I went to was a Pentecostal church. And I grew there. I love the Pentecostals. But I also know that I don't need to hold firmly to a lot of the teachings that are taught there. Just as any other denomination that, that makes whatever more important than whatever. <laughs> the reality is you need the fullness of the Word of God. And so I don't have to pull away from the Holy Spirit because I don't understand the Holy Spirit. The reality is I need the Holy Spirit. And I do need Him to be activated in my life because the Word of God says don't live a life that grieves Him. Don't live a life that dishonors Him. <clears throat> but that we are engaged with him daily. And oh, how I pray that you recognize that. And oh, I pray that daily you, it would be a prayer, a genuine prayer in your heart, not me, but you, Lord. My Holy Spirit, have your way. Like you were given to me to encourage me, to be my comforter, to be my guide. Jesus says, I have to go away so that he will come. So we can't neglect the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of neglecting going on because of what man has done in creating this scene or creating these 
things that you need to reflect that you have the Holy Spirit. You know one who is walking with the Spirit by the fruit that's coming from their life, not by the gift in which they have. The Holy Spirit does distribute gifts among the church, but it's for the purpose of growing and maturing the church, not making a mockery of him. So just a side note there. Psalm 32, verse 7. Psalm 32, verse 7 through 8. For you, oh, listen to this. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you. Along the best pathway for your life, I will advise you and watch over you. I love these two verses. And these are the two verses that I go back to a lot in my walk. In my day-to-day walk. Because listen to these promises. For you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. And I love this. You surround me with songs of victory. Some translations, it says songs of deliverance. I love when worship is being played. Worship is just not music. Worship is an active lifestyle that you're engaged with intimately, with the the Holy Spirit, with Christ, with the Father, three in one. Like he's in complete control. You're living. You're, you're, You're engaged with him. And so when you understand, though, when words are being sung over you, ah, that's powerful. But I want you to even take it up a little bit more. He surrounds me with songs. Songs potentially that we can't even hear because they're in the realm in which we cannot see. Songs of deliverance. Like he is fighting for us, you all. He is engaged in combative warfare. We don't stand in and of ourselves and rebuke the devil. No, we stand in the assurance that Jesus is rebuking him. That there's active, warring, ministering angels contending in the heavenly realms on our behalf. And I love the fact when we see through Scripture... That it's not only God that comforts us, but there's even seasons when Scripture shows that even He sends angels to comfort. Not that we're looking for angels. Not that we're worshiping angels. The understanding is that they do the bidding of the Lord. It's all for Him, you all. I mean, look at that. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and listen to that watch over you. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. 
He will be with you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. And finally, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. 1 Thessalonians. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. And that's why I continually encourage us that the body of Christ is the community in which you are to be engaged with. And we're called to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. We're called to to gather. We're called to connect. Because it takes all of us. Each of us are gifted. And you are needed in the body of Christ. If you're a Christian. And non-believers can attend church. Oh, that, and hope that they pray that they would hear the truth. And their eyes would be open. We don't shun non-believers. We don't tell non-believers not to come to church. No, they're welcome to come. Right where they're at. In the midst of it all. No matter what it is. Same as it is with Christians who are finding themselves enslaved to sin instead of pulling away from God, pulling away from church, they should be in church and they should be transparent. It should be a place where we can be first transparent before God and then transparent before each other and not go and be shocked because for God's sakes, anything, we all can, in and of of ourselves, we can find ourselves in the most craziest places. And so we ought not to be shocked by where people are at in their life, rather they're believers or non-believers. The reality is we all need Jesus. (laughs) And we've got nothing to hide. We've got nothing to hide, and that's been the problem. See, that's the tactics of the enemy. That's why you must not only know first God, (laughs) but you must understand the tactics of your enemy. And his tactics is darkness, deception, lies, hide it. If you dare let people know. Do you know what they're going to think of you? I mean, the reality of how how we pull away, because the Bible tells us the darkness does not like the light. And the reality is also is that the darkness can never extinguish the light. So don't listen to the lie of the enemy, you all. What time are we at, Carrie? 1216. 2 Samuel chapter 14. Don't have my clock in front of me. Don't worry about that. <laughs> 2 Samuel chapter 14. So we just read through a lot of scripture that I hope to would encourage us to keep persevering. We are understanding the life of King David. King David, again, was God's appointed king. His heart was towards God. He was not always faithful to God, though. But in his seasons of failure, when he was convicted, when the prophet came before him, he knew what to do because his heart was for God. He repented. He turned to God. He honored God. But he's made a mess of his life because of decisions that he has done. He's made a mess of his life because he, he was engaged in a lot of stuff that wasn't pleasing to God. And he made not only a mess of his life, 
But now the effects of all of those choices are now affecting his children. But yet, this is the kingdom in which God purposed to bring forth the Messiah. So don't miss this. Even in, the, even in all the stuff that we're seeing and we'll see as we continue to go through the Old Testament and, into the New, and we're in the New Testament, remember, God chose Israel. Of all the nations of the earth, he chose Israel to be the one that would be appointed to bring forth the Messiah. To fulfill the promise in which he said back here in the garden to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. They were complete communion with God. Perfect unity. And the enemy came in. Did God really say? And deceived Eve. And then Eve gave to her husband. And before you know it, they both are naked. But God said even then, as he banned them from the garden, he looked at the serpent and said, there will come one who's going to crush your head. And again, I keep telling you, that event didn't take God by surprise. Remember, the cross was always purposed even before God spoke the earth into existence. The cross, the redemption, the love of God being displayed to all creation. To all creation. I mean, the Bible tells us that even, the, even creation is longing to be restored back to the Creator. Mankind is the only one that God breathed into. He didn't speak us into an existence. He created us. And from that creation, He breathed in. He took from man and created Eve. And there was this union that was supposed to, to, to remain, but God knew it wouldn't because of the cross was purposed. So even from the beginning, all the way up until he returns, you see God's faithfulness. You don't see man's faithfulness. God is faithful. God is faithful. And so, so as we're reading about King David, I don't want us to get sidetracked. God appointed him. God knew him. God ultimately knows our hearts. That's why Jesus could look at everyone, walk away from him. As for, for a while, they were all about Jesus. Yes, Jesus, 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 Jesus. But when he turned and he began to really give them understanding about his purpose and who he was, remember what the crowd says. This is too hard for us to understand. What is he saying? Ah, and they all left. Except the twelve. And do you remember, I always tell you, that's where I would write Jesus wept. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible also doesn't say that he runs ahead and looks at all of them and says, don't leave, I'll dumb it down for you. If you would just re- under- love me, if you would just receive me. No, 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 Jesus stood there and watched all these people who the Bible calls disciples walk away. But he looked at the twelve and said, are you leaving too? And remember the response. Where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. So again, I share all that because as we continue, we're going to see some weird stuff take place in the life of David and his family. We already know God already told David, David, all this is going to happen because you chose not to honor me. 
And what we're going to see, not only in this, it's First Samuel, but also as we go into the book of John, is we're going to look at the act of betrayal. And betrayal is one thing that, if you haven't experienced, you may, be, you may experience. Rather, it's from a parent, rather, it's from a sibling, rather, it's from a friend, co-worker, whoever. Betrayal is a vicious, vicious weapon of the enemy. Because it comes really to tear you down, to break trust. But God, in the midst of it, can heal you all. God, in the midst of it, wants to bring us through it to get to the other side of it, to be a display of his healing power, of his restoring power. And so I just want you to have that in mind as we've read through that and as we're going to pick up here, chapter 14 through 15, only verse 22 of 15. One day, Jonathan... No, no second Samuel. Oh. Why are we talking about Jonathan. Joab, chapter 14, 2 Samuel, Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. Remember Absalom, David's son? He's hiding out now because he killed the other son because that son raped David's daughter, who was his half-sister. And the king, David, didn't do what he ought to have done. David should have had his son put to death, but he didn't. So Absalom, the other son, waited a period of time, and then he set up, he devised a plan to kill the other son. So then he's off. So Joab, the advisor of King David, realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. So he sent for a woman from Tekoa, who had a reputation for great wisdom. He said to her, Pretend you are in mourning. Wear mourning clothes and put on lotions. Act like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him the story I'm about to tell you. Then Joab told her what to say. When the woman from Tekia approached the king, she bowed with her face to the ground in deep respect and cried out, O king, help me. What's the trouble? the king asked. Alas, I am a widow. She replied, my husband is dead. My two sons had a fight out in the field. And since no one was there to stop it, one of them was killed. Now the rest of the family is demanding. Let us have your son. We will execute him for murdering his brother. He doesn't deserve to inherit his family's property. They want to extinguish the only coal I have left. And my husband's name and family will disappear from the face of the earth. Leave it to me, the king told her. Go home, and I'll see to it that no one touches him. Oh, thank you, my lord, the king, the woman from Tokia replied. If you are criticized for helping me, let the blame fall on me and my father's house, and let the king and his throne be innocent. If anyone objects, the king said, bring him to me. I can assure you he will never harm you again. This she said, Please swear to me by the Lord your God that you won't let anyone take vengeance against my son. 
I want no more bloodshed. As surely as the Lord lives, he replied, not a hair on your son's head will be disturbed. Please allow me to ask one more thing of my Lord, the king, she said. Go ahead and speak, he responded. She replied, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do for me? You have convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. I have come to plead with my Lord, the King, because people have threatened me. I, have, I said to myself, perhaps the king will listen to me and rescue us from those who would cut us off from the inheritance God has given us. Yes, my Lord, the king will give us peace of mind again. I know you are like an angel of God in discerning good and evil. May the Lord your God be with you. I must know one thing, the king replied, and tell me the truth. Yes, my Lord, the king, she responded. Did Joab put you up to this? And the woman replied, My lord, the king, how can I deny it? Nobody can hide anything from you. Yes, Joab sent me and told me what to say. He did it to place the matter before you in a different light. But you are as wise as an angel of God, and you understand everything that happens among us. So the king sent for Joab and told him, All right, go and bring back the young man Absalom. Joab bowed with his face to the ground in deep respect and said, At last, I know that I have gained your approval, my lord, the king. You have granted me this request. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king gave this order. Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. Now, Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all of Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. He cut his hair only once a year and then only because it was too heavy. When he weighed it out, it came to 15 pounds. He then, he had three sons and one daughter. His daughter's name was Tamar and she was very beautiful. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years and he never got to see the king. Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask his father to intercede for him, but Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but again Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, Go and set fire to Joab's barley field, the field next to mine. So they set his field on fire as Absalom had commanded. Then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, why did your servant set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, Because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back to Geshir if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said, that at last David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. Isn't in there. We see this beautiful picture, if you would, of, of restoration. But Absalom had more 
thought. And he began to put an action and to plan to rebel against David, to take over the throne. So after this, Absalom brought a chariot and horses. And he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early, he got up every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, listen to this, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I will give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he, listen to this, stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. After seven years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer the sacrifice to the Lord. And now look how he's using the Lord. And fulfill a vow I made to him. For a while, for a while, your servant was in Geshur in Amron. I promised a sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. All right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say, Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. He took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for this guy, one of David's counselors, that who lived in Gilo. Soon many others also joined Absalom, and the conspiracy gained momentum. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, All Israel has joined... Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once, or it will be too late, David urged his men. Hurry! If we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. We are with you, his advisors replied. Do you think it's best? So that do what you think is best. So the king and all his household set out at once. He left no one behind except ten of his concubines to look after the palace. The king and all his people set out on foot, pausing at the last house to let all the king's men move past to lead the way. There were 600 men from Gath who came, who had come to with David along with the king's bodyguard. Then the king turned and said to Aitia, a leader from a man, of the men from Gath, Why are you coming with us? Go back to the king, go back to King Absalom, for you are a guest in Israel, a foreigner, foreigner in exile. You arrived only recently, and I and should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where we will go. Go back and take your kinsmen with you, and may the Lord show you his unfailing love and faithfulness. But Aitia said to the king, I vow by the Lord. And by your own life that I will go wherever my Lord, the king, goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or death. David replied, all right, come with us. So Aitia and all his men and their families 
went along. Chaos, you all. But in the midst of chaos, in the midst of rebellion, in the, in the midst of betrayal, you're beginning to see the Lord's faithfulness in David's life. And you're seeing how David is responding to the Lord. And how he's honoring God. And so it doesn't matter what you're facing. If, if, if it's a trial, if it's you know betrayal, if it's whatever. Get to a place where you're growing and you're maturing, where you're handling it and you're addressing it by the leading of the Lord. And that in your decisions that you're honoring God. And that's what I hope that we're seeing as we're moving through this. But again, we're seeing Absalom on the flip side reacting out of his flesh. And nothing good comes from the flesh. Rather, it's David. Rather, it's Absalom. Rather, it's me. Rather, it's you. Absalom has devised a plan to take the throne. That's not God's plan. And yet he would even use the Lord's name in his betrayal. And ultimately, the end will come for Absalom, as it would for us. And that's why I keep encouraging y'all, nothing good comes from the flesh. Keep pursuing the flesh, and you're going to reap the benefit of the flesh, which is death, which is destruction, which is despair. Nothing good can come from it. You look at the great civilizations that have been upon the earth. And when they gave themselves over to the reality of just embracing everything and anything and living for everything and anything and rejecting God, they've collapsed. I mean, you can just, one of my favorite studies I've done years ago, and I would just encourage you, we never study the Roman Empire. When they, and it was an amazing empire, but they actually turned inward and gave themselves over to all their appetites. And they crumbled. They crumbled. So just because you think you're getting away with it, just because you may say, it's not hurting anyone else, I can live my life, I can be whatever I want, be whoever I want. If you're rejecting God, in the end, you'll get what you think you're getting. But it's not going to be good. Nothing good comes from the flesh. Let the seed be sown. But let the seed, that which is sown in your heart, be that which is of righteousness, of a character that honors God, not yourself. Go to John chapter 18, only reading verse 1 through 24. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley. This is after he prayed with his disciples, and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet him. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, who are you? are you looking for? 
And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene, I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And once I am the, and, and since I am the one you want, let the others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So the soldiers, so the soldiers, their commanding officers and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, since he had since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who was told, who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for all the people. Simon Peter followed along, followed Jesus, as did other, another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then a disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked, Peter, you're, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made, it, had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. And Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest, he demanded? And Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Jesus arrested you all. And a trial that shouldn't even be taking place. Because they were breaking all of their, their rules and their laws. But Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, in flesh, fully God, fully man, is fulfilling what was planned for his life. The cross, you all. Jesus knew where he was heading. These religious men were the religious men of the hour and of the day, leading God's people. But instead of leading them to God, they burdened the people and kept them from God. God himself is right before them. The very Messiah in which they taught on, they couldn't even recognize because they were so religious. They had a religious mentality. They made it about themselves. They lost focus on truth and who God was and what to look for in the Messiah. And so I just want to encourage us as we read David's account as we're reading Jesus' account, and these betrayals are taking place, all of this, God is still sovereign. 
no matter what. So you said, what can we take from this? No matter what is going on in your life, no matter what is ahead of you this week, rest in the fact that God is sovereign. He is for you. He's not against you. He will see you through that which comes to try you. And that's my hope that you get as you get up from this place today and you go forward into your week, that your hope is in Christ. And the Bible tells us that we must endure trials so that perseverance is being produced in our life. And as perseverance is being produced, our character is being established, firmly rooted in our truth, which is Christ. And from there, hope is produced. And that hope is in Christ. And our hope in Christ will never disappoint us. Never disappoint us, no matter what we're facing. No matter what we're facing. And we see that in David's life. In a common man's life who was called by God, facing the horrible betrayal of what he's about to endure, what he had to endure. But how he responded came from a man whose heart is towards God, whose trust was in God. And then on the flip side, we see Jesus's life. He knew his purpose. He knew what he came to do to save mankind. And he would endure all that he's about to endure, not because man purposed it, but because he purposed it. He wasn't everything that he's about to endure. He knew what was before him. He understood the wrath that he would have to take to save you and to save me. He freely gave his life for you and for me. And oh, how I pray that we fully grasp that. And that's why the Bible says no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus calls you his friend. I'm willingly giving myself for you so that you would be restored to the Father. And for eternity, for eternity, live in our kingdom. See, that's the hope of a believer, you all. Go to Psalm. Psalm 119. We're wrapping up here. Psalm 119, verses 97 through 112. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I'm always thinking of your laws. I'm even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your righteous, your regulations, for you have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me, oh my goodness, understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. 
I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life consistently hangs in the balance. (laughs) But I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments, my God. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I'm determined to keep your decrees to the very end. The psalmist, King David, and a lot of these psalms were written by these other psalmists who were going through the deepest, darkest, hellish events that they've had to face, and yet they looked up. The hope and the promise in which they have And David even understood the importance of what it is to treasure the word of God, to know his God, to abide in his God, in his commandments, and how God's ways lead to life. Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, 8 through 9. Two nuggets of wisdom for you. Better to have a little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Oh, that you would be encouraged this day to press in to what God has for you in this day ahead of you, in the week ahead of you, and that ultimately all that you say and do will honor God. I'm going to play this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
come, come, restore the mind.